0: You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Good morning, everyone, or hello, whatever, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense, and I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, we're going to dive into a topic that uh, we're, we're going to present a little bit different twist and an alternative. A popular word that I have worked with in my coaching world uh, since the pandemic is this word resilience. A lot of uh, talent development and management people are talking about it. Executives at all levels, in all forms, and all kinds of business are talking about it. Um, we might be at the point it's worn out, as maybe it needs to be revived, I don't know. But my guest today is going to help us with a little bit of a different twist, uh, starting with some of her own experience and things she learned uh, through the pandemic. Her name is Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, I think the way we're going to tee this up fits well in what we usually do on this show. I usually always ask my guests to give me a little bit of background story and talk about your journey and what it is that's gotten you to the place you are, and more importantly, what's motivated you to talk about the things you like to talk about. So take it away wherever you want to start with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Well, yeah, my um, I have a couple of stories. Um, first of all, the company that I run is called HR Uprise, and it started as an Instagram account. So we can dive into that story um, a little bit later if if we have time. But um, yeah, this concept of resilience um, was something that has really been tested for me um, and really led me on a journey. So I left my full-time job um, to focus on my company full time in July of 2019. And I was building this business and feeling like I was getting some great momentum and then January of 2020, as we now all know, right? Um really was a traumatic time. Um and for me, um added on top of that was a cancer diagnosis. So I was diagnosed in the very beginning of January 2020 and I live in the Seattle area. Uh, My husband is an emergency physician, and he works at the hospital where they treated the first COVID patient in the United States. So COVID hit us very, very early here um, in a big way. So it was not long after my diagnosis, and um, the first month after a cancer diagnosis, um, at least for me, was filled with endless doctor's appointments. And really the goal at that point was to put together the treatment plan. Um, It was just before my 41st birthday. So it's considered very, very young um, to be diagnosed with cancer. In fact, I looked at the statistics. I had a less than 1% chance um, or risk factor of being diagnosed. I had no history in my family. Um, I don't have the genetic markers, none of that. So we're in the midst of all of this. Um, and then COVID really starts to heat up um, here in in the United States. So we made the decision shortly after I began chemo. So my, my treatment plan that we were putting together was five full months of chemotherapy. So it was 16 rounds in total of some of the toughest chemotherapy that's out there. Um, And then it was, so mine was breast cancer, so I had a double mastectomy scheduled, so massive surgery, Um, and then seven weeks of radiation after that. So that was a plan that we put together. And not long after I started chemo, uh, we made the decision that my husband had to move out um, to keep me safe, to keep our kids safe. So our daughters were six and three at the time. Mm. And so it was just me and the girls um, here as I went through chemo. Um, and, um, we were really fortunate to have some amazing friends who, um, offered up their basement to my husband, um, where he could stay while he continued to go to work. So he was going to work every day, treating COVID patients and, um, you know, doing the work that is so critically important to him and, but also to our family. And so on the days that the weather was nice Uh, he would sit outside on the porch and we would stay inside and we would talk through the screen door. Um, And on the days where the weather wasn't so great, we would do the same thing in the garage. Always, of course, keeping more than six feet apart. And so that's how we went through five months at the very beginning of the pandemic. So it was in the middle of this that I learned about a concept called post-traumatic growth. And it was something I'd never heard of. I was really familiar with post-traumatic stress disorder. Many of us are PTSD, right? And I think there's a lot more conversation around PTSD, but post-traumatic growth is a concept in psychology that describes this phenomenon where a certain subset of people who experience a traumatic experience are actually able to grow and thrive after this traumatic experience. And one of the things that really hit home for me and one of the things I've been thinking a lot about since that experience has been this concept about the difference between post-traumatic growth and resilience. So I interviewed a psychologist who studied post-traumatic growth, and this is how she described it. it. So resilience is the question of, I've gone through this really challenging experience. How can I bounce back you know, as quickly as possible and kind of get back to where I was? And the concept of post-traumatic growth is, I've gone through this trauma and there, there is nothing to bounce back to. What, what I had before does not exist anymore. And I'd been looking for some way to describe this experience. In my mind, it was this: these experiences that we have where we walk through a door and it slams shut behind us, right? What we had before doesn't exist anymore. Um, And so I've really been spending a lot of time um, working and talking with leaders about what does that mean for us? We've all collectively experienced this trauma of the pandemic, and it changed everything. What we had before doesn't exist anymore. So what does that mean for us now going forward?
0: Well, powerful story, and you know, let me ask first: How are you doing now? Are you health wise? Well, thank you for
1: asking. I'm doing really well, um, physically for the most part. Um, I am better. Of course, there are countless scars and um, physical and emotional. <laughs> um, you know, the ironic thing about a lot of cancer treatment is. I do have some lingering side effects. Um, You know, I have a cough that comes out of nowhere and it's chronic and that's really fun in the COVID times um, to have a chronic cough, but um, the ironic part is all of the things that I suffer from now are actually from the treatment, not necessarily from the cancer, but I am grateful for amazing medicine um, and amazing team of physicians um, who, by the way, were all women. That was amazing. My entire team um, was was all women, all female doctors. Um, so, yes, I'm I'm doing very well now. Thank you.
0: Well, good, good. So, so happy to hear that. And uh, you know the the idea, and boy, I, I you packed a lot into your story, so I, I want to kind of break this down a little. Yeah. Bit. You know the idea of compounding the impact of it for your husband to suggest he needed to move out for protection of the family, given what he was exposed to every day. That's just, you know, gut-wrenching to realize that there's a need for such a move uh, because of the impact of the event and and things that were going on. And I, I will say, I agree with you totally. You know, people and I'll, I'll say this, what I'm getting ready to say based on leaders in, in various business environments, you know, there are so many that are still looking for a return to the old normal and there's just no such thing. You're, you know, the way you said it is exactly right. The old normal just really doesn't exist. Your business might be still producing the same things. It, <clears throat> excuse me, the same things it used to do. But I guarantee you that every one of the people on your team are thinking differently about work, about life, about family, about community, all the things that make us an individual and unique human beings. People's mindsets have totally shifted, and there's not a member of the workforce anywhere that doesn't think differently about what they believe about the job. Absolutely. It changed and if you're a leader in that space, you do have a big challenge. You there is no old normal to get back to.
1: That's absolutely right. It changed every single one of us. Um and you know, you see the you see the impact. So we had the great resignation, right? Which in my mind was the great reevaluation. Yeah. You know, we all had this time to, you know, consider how oh, in the heck did I drive into work, you know, at least an hour each direction five days a week? Why, why did I do that? Why
0: did I do you know? that? Yeah. Why
1: did yeah. I do that? And I I don't ever want to do that again.
0: Right. Um,
1: you know, so uh, what about the work that I'm doing? I mean, for me, this is a really personal, um, you know, I call it my daily aggressive reminder that confronting my mortality at a very young age, really did. It really has given me this very aggressive daily reminder. You do not know what tomorrow brings. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Right. And so what, for me, what that does is it gives me this question of, okay, so now what, what are you going to do? And for me, it means that the work that I do needs to be really, really impactful, that it needs to be meaningful. And I think so many people went through a very similar kind of process, you know, is is what I'm getting from this job worth it <laughs> in terms of, you know, um, what I'm giving and, and doing that kind of um, return on investment. Um, analysis, um, and then we see these, you know, more recent waves of the quiet quitting and things like that. And again, it's, it's all part of this same process in my mind, where people are really going through um, and asking themselves, you know, so now what?
0: Yeah, and, and one other dimension of all that is is something I've mentioned before, and that is that prior to the pandemic people were in pursuit of this mysterious thing they called work-life balance. And um, I was already realizing by virtue of my coaching experience that people that were really stuck on trying to figure that out really never found a solution. It, it, It was kind of this mysterious void that was just never solved. And what I realized coming out of COVID, I've, I've encouraged people to change their thinking on that, the whole notion of work-life balance. The reason it couldn't be achieved is because it was requiring this give and take. And, you know, you you didn't always have control of what you were going to give up. You didn't always have control of what you were going to take. So you never got there. But the new phrase, and just not to mince words, but the new phrase that I think is more indicative of this situation is, Work-life harmony. Mm -hmm. Everything is going on simultaneously. (laughs) You know what your spouse is doing, what your kids are doing, what your relatives are doing, what your neighbors are doing. All of that is going on simultaneous with whatever you choose to do for work. And the real challenge in all of that is: Can you be present in the moment? If your spouse needs attention and needs to have a moment, can you be present in that moment? Yeah. And turn off everything else and 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 be available and be present. And similarly, in fairness, uh, you know, when, when the work demands full attention, can you give full attention at work or are you tugged away by personal matters that you're struggling with? Yeah. And, I mean,
1: I, so I've worked in HR for 22 years now and I have said yeah. for my entire career, there's no such thing as leaving it at home. It just, it, there's no such thing. Um, we are all human beings. Um, we are people who have full lives, um, who have challenges and drama and all kinds of uh, wonderful things happening. I mean, there there are so many so many asset um, aspects of us being fully human, and there's absolutely no way to leave it at the door, you know, or leave it at home. and it has never been more true than it is now um you know we got the absolute extreme view to that during the pandemic when lockdown happened and you know many of us so for those of us who are parents we got more time with our kids which was wonderful but it also burned us out um, because we're juggling the home you know the zoom school and trying to keep jobs going and you know keeping you know, ordering groceries to be delivered like all the all of these things right um and so i do think harmony is is a better um it's something better to strive for than balance because as you said you know the the give and take just doesn't it's not realistic um but you know there's this huge conversation right now about this return to office return and I, I i always have a little bit of you know the the red flag goes off when i hear the term return because again really what i want leaders to think about is the fact that that, that again we don't have the same thing to return to um and so what i think is much more important For leaders to think about, I don't necessarily advocate for all remote work either, because that doesn't work for everybody, and there are certainly huge benefits to being together in person. But I want leaders to be really intentional, not just, okay, well, here we go, we now have the opportunity to call everybody back, but how and why? Why? Um, You know, what is the purpose of us getting together? What is the value that we feel like is much greater in person than it might be for, you know, the flexibility that remote work can offer? So it really is that intentionality that
0: I want leaders to think about. Right. Well, it is a hot topic and, and you're spot on. I, I, and I like the one word you said in there, the why. Why do you need everybody back? Yeah. <clears throat> And what goes along with that is the whole idea, what exactly do you want to accomplish when you do get everybody back together? I had my own experience a few years ago, prior to the pandemic, I was working with a national agency, this was still in my consulting days, and I was about 50 miles remote from the office. and. You know, there was an expectation that I came into the office every day and I I told him, I said, no, I'm really not going to do that because my work is with clients and, you know, I can do that from my home office and or when I'm out in the field traveling to the clients and there was no good value, and and I, well, where we reached the compromise, I said, okay, when you're going to have a team meeting at the office, I will come in for that. I'll agree to do that. But what ensued was every time that happened, it was a colossal waste of time because it was just a whole lot of nebulous chit-chat. No progress was being created toward the greater good we were trying to achieve, And in fact, I got behind on project deadlines because I wasted a whole day doing this silly gathering that I'm convinced was just for the benefit of the partner that ran the office. They needed that social interaction. They didn't, you know, they, they weren't able or willing to really do something to move the needle toward our goal. Yeah. And I finally at that point said, I'm not coming in at all. And if that's a, you know, a bother for you, then we're done. I'll go do something else. And yeah, so- I
1: mean, what you're talking about is social capital, um, which there there is really a, a value um, in social capital. There's research that suggests that that is a huge chunk of what we have lost you know when we went to um you know lockdown and a completely remote environment that's a lot of what was lost is just that um relationship building um you know the water cooler conversations the right. okay oh, right. hey, you know since you're here it reminds me of this thing that I wanted to ask you about right the the kind of serendipitous um connections that we can make with people so there is a value to that for sure, but at the same time, again, it's this question of really. I, I think about it as time mastery. What most people, the vast majority of people, would still tell you, employees will tell you today, that they're looking for is time mastery. It's the autonomy to be able to decide do do i have time for is my personality a good fit for the idle chit chat that happens before a meeting and is that the entire purpose of me coming in right um so so it's really about having the ability to make those decisions or to say Hey, my child has a concert this afternoon um and so rather than drive all the way in um for a team meeting and then not be back in time for that, I'd like to join by Zoom so that I can still you know make it to the concert on time and having the having the ability and the, the flexibility to be able to make those decisions that's really what it's all about or somebody who works from home I mean there's a lot of research that also, talks about for folks who are newer in their career that they're missing out right. on you know in-person interactions and the um, coaching or the mentorship that can happen in person. And so for them to be able to decide, no, I'd much rather be in person um, you know and be able to take advantage of those things so that the needs are really, really different for folks depending on where they are in their career, where they are with their family or outside of work obligations their interests um you know whatever that is it really is individual and i think that's another big shift that i really want leaders to think about is this shift from a one size fits all approach to we really need to look at it individually and right. and it is possible to have policies so again in hr you know we really think about systems and we think about you know system-wide kinds of decisions it's possible to have enough flexibility that allows for each individual to make the decisions for themselves
0: well and you know a lot of it comes down to choices that people do make and and part of it is if if you're going to be a leader and you agree that okay i'm going to make flexibility available to everyone. When we have a designated meeting, you either be here in the office or we do it remotely. But for those that are remote, there's the challenge of how do you really engage and how do you allow some sort of exchange or sharing in in those serendipitous moments? How do they, everybody seems to argue that they just don't organically happen on Zoom like they do in in the water cooler moment. But you know, I I argue against that because I have been party and part of a number of uh, company de- dealings where the Zoom meetings are quite engaging. You know, <laughs> because the leader sets the tone and sets the stage and allows time on the agenda for those things to happen and for people to share and. I'm working with a national group right now. Ironically, the whole company is fundamentally virtual. There is no headquarters mm-hmm. office to go to if you wanted to. Um, but once a week, there's a team call, and it's mostly just to kind of provide a moment to share what's going on in everybody's lives. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it
1: really does come back to that intentionality. Yeah. Um, you know, that they, they just like, you know, um, in our careers, we we learn how to lead an effective meeting in person. We also now all need to le- learn some new skills, which is how to lead an effective meeting when you're in a virtual environment or even more so in a hybrid environment. Maybe you have some folks in person and some folks on Zoom. So it, it's just, it's new skills that we're all going to have to learn. Um, and I think the really savvy leaders are the ones who are going to understand that again the game has changed entirely we are not the same as we used to be Um, and so what are those skills that are really going to help us it's really about future proofing your career future proofing your leadership um, to ensure that you will be able to be effective in this this new world
0: right well, before we close out, I want to go back to this thing you call post-traumatic growth. Uh, is there a, is there a, a process or a, a kind of a step-by-step consideration of how to get there and how to identify the opportunity? Sure. So post-traumatic
1: growth um, in in leadership, um, it's the topic of a book I have coming out next year. Um, so I want to. I'll talk you through. Um, there are three major components to leadership in this new world, and the first is really about adaptive leadership. It's looking at flexibility over rigidity, right? Having quick decision making. How do we handle crisis and uncertainty? But it's it's really about again that adaptive leadership style um so that that's the first component the second part is what i refer to as empathic culture um but it's about recognizing us as holistic human beings um how do we help provide the environment for um well being in a holistic sense for our employees? How do we build community? And then also, how do we nurture the talent that we have? Um, and again, it really comes back to a lot of what we've been talking about um, the focus on the individual um, and how do we do that on a larger scale? And then the last part is really about strategic agility. You know, how do we pivot? Um, how do we empower our team with transparency? Um, And, again, from a strategic standpoint, um, I think the best leaders I have always worked with are the ones who have the ability to understand things from the macro level and then also understand how that applies on the micro level. So, again, you know, understanding individually how will this impact um, our teams um, and again, being able to see from a strategic standpoint, um, you know both from a business standpoint, how do we stay ahead of these kinds of trends from a company culture standpoint what does this mean for us? Um, how do we uh, continue to adapt to changing markets to changing needs from our employees? Um, so it's really that that last component is really about strategic agility. But all of that is really built around the components of post-traumatic growth. Um, so, yeah, there'll be more to come next year yeah. when the book's out.
0: <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you you touched on several things, and I I love the whole idea of adaptability and agility, and I think that's where most managers get off track. They um, they are on a path of certain behaviors and historical events that got them to where they are, and as Marshall Goldsmith famously wrote in his book, you know, what got you here won't get you there, and I think that speaks to the whole idea of willingness to be agile, be open to change, have the ability to lead change, because, um, you know, as all the psychologists help us understand, you know, change is hard, it's a reality of life and these traumas can and will happen and obviously those are giant change events in your life both physically mentally emotionally and maybe even functionally uh, so h- how do you get past that how do you how do you look to some new normal that you want to aspire to be and you're right I, you know i'm hearing uh i've heard i should say many stories of of people who have gone through these traumas they have a whole new lease on life is the phrase that's popular to say you know they they just look at things differently and in most cases it does allow for some amazing growth and mm-hmm. and forward momentum rather than falling into and i realize sadly many people end up in a depressed state and you know, they they struggle to, to climb out of that, but um, there's certainly help for that if you need it. But I think being willing to forget what was and look ahead to what is and find the opportunity and the growth in that process.
1: I think that's exactly right. I, one of the things that I learned with post-traumatic growth is um, that is, it's not toxic positivity. You know, it's, it's not the, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, um, it's not that at all. Um, this is, I, I, I had someone ask me once, well, I bet you wouldn't change, you know, I, I see all that you've been able to do since, you know, having cancer. I bet you wouldn't change it now. Like, no, I absolutely would if I could go back and not have cancer. Absolutely, you know, no question. Um, so so it's about recognizing that that the challenges of life, trauma, um, difficult situations are inevitable. Truly, for all, for all of us, um, and so it really is about how can we. Accept what is, that was a big part of it for me, was accepting where I was and what was happening, um, and then, then how do we move forward afterwards? And I think for me, in the midst of wiping down the groceries <laughs> as they came through the door um, and things like that, um, you know, in the midst of this very, very terrifying virus, Um, and that we knew very little about that, that literally killed millions of people in the midst of all of that. Um, it was a lighthouse for me to, to know that it was still possible that past this at some point, you know, there would be life on the other side. Um, and it's very difficult sometimes to, to be able to see that when you're in the midst of the challenge, um, but again, I think it's, it's just, we spend so much time, especially in the Western world, the United States, we spend so much of our time in the workplace, you know, doing work. Right. And this is the prime, uh, place for all of us to recognize what we've been through and to collectively, you know, what could we do to help each other move forward in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said, and, and I do think it's on the shoulders of leaders in all levels of business and community that we um, identify the uniqueness in all of the people we serve and, and celebrate that, honor that, and make decisions about policies and procedures that allow those individuals to thrive in the culture you're trying to build at your company and I've I've gone on record I've written a couple of articles this last year about the idea that I think for the most part in modern business command and control is dead or needs to be dead absolutely I think uh, there's very limited circumstances that justify a command and control attitude and since we're talking about medical, the metaphor I've used is that if, if I need to go in for heart surgery, I want my surgeon to be in total command and control of that <laughs> OR, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with that, but uh, when it comes to day-to-day execution of work in most other sectors, you know, the, the my way or the highway kind of attitude, you're, you're gonna have people voting with their feet. They're gonna go, guess what? I choose the highway. I'm gone. Yeah. And, and it's already happened. We've already seen it. Yeah. We've already seen it. It's not a threat. It's already happened. And uh for those that haven't woken up from that yet and realized it, it's not them, it's you, dude. You know, you you made that happen. <laughs> um I encourage you to and I'm speaking to those in leadership, I am encouraging you to take a look in the mirror and do a, a deep dive into your own sense of value and and outlook on the world to uh, realize that if you want the best out of your team you've got to let them be who they are that's right. and if you somehow don't like that for that for a person on your team then guess what you might be right that's maybe not a good fit for your team so deal with that don't let it fester don't let yeah. it hang on just confront it and deal with it and move on so i realize that's often easier said than done but I I think that's what it's going to take for people to build teams and cultures that do thrive in the new normal.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think that that's where the empathy comes in. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't argue. And I, again, 22 years in HR, I can tell you without a doubt that not every job is a good fit for every person. Not every company is a good fit for every employee, um, but it really is about, you know, you can you can help people to find their next great adventure in a way that you are preserving their dignity, that we're treating them with empathy, that we're even giving critical feedback with empathy, um, and that that is absolutely possible, um, that we don't have to continue. I mean, we haven't even gotten into, we probably don't have time today for workplace trauma, um, and all all of the different ways in which um, the workplace and managers, leaders in particular, um, can create all levels of trauma for employees as well. And it just, it does not have to be that way. Right. Um, there is absolutely um, a way to um, move the business forward and to continue to be strategic and grow the business and um, also have a robust and thriving, um, workplace that will help you make that happen.
0: Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. And we are about up on time today. Uh, tell the folks how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more about your work. Sure. Well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Rebecca
1: Weaver, and you can also find me at hruprise.com. H-R-U-P-R-I-S-E.com.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, as always, folks, we're going to have that in the show notes so you can uh, just uh, mash the links there and and be able to uh, look up Rebecca, make contact if you're interested. So one last time, thank you, Rebecca, for sharing all this. And so happy to hear your health is good and things are moving forward. So Thanks
1: so much for having me, Doug.
0: All right. With that, folks, we are going to sign off. I do like to remind everyone we've got a video version of this show over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Just hop over there, check out all the archives and the history of shows that we've done. We're coming up pretty soon on number 300, so um, we'll be celebrating that when we get there. But for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.